Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth chapter, reading just one verse, verse 11. Let's give careful attention to the public reading of God's word as it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 11. This morning I'm reading from the English Standard Version. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Let's pray. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your word, which is truth, and who has called us to engage in the study of that word. We pray that you would sweeten this word in our hearts, that together we might grow in our knowledge of you and ourselves, that we might more enjoy the calling that you have given to us, that we might honor you more along the path of life. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus, your Son and our Savior, who with you and the Holy Spirit reigns forever, one God. Amen. Be seated, please. Well, we're in a series on Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 6 through 21. Not sure we'll look at all of the commandments, but... Uh, we have looked at how to count the commandments, and last time I was here a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the first word, recognizing the Lord as one. Uh, God is to be our only God, no other gods, no other dependence on anything else, anyone else, ultimately for that which we need for this life or for the life to come, and no images because God's presence is mediated to us through the work of the Holy Spirit based on the work of his son. Well, the very next word is the one that we have read. And if I were to title it in any particular way to try to get at the essence of it, I would title this word, Where the Lord's Name Well. My middle son is a paramedic. That means that he's in uniform when he's on the job. And he's out in the public. And so there's a, there's a special sense that he has to have about himself. Because people are watching. Because he's wearing the uniform, he's representing the county. And people notice. People make reports about this, that, or the other thing. Questions about this, that, or the other He's got to wear that uniform well because he's representing Seminole County. My third son and my daughter-in-law are airmen, and they go to work in uniform. And when they're traveling from home to work, they stop in at a gas station. They have to wear their uniform well because they're representing The United States, there's a certain dignity, there's a certain honor in their comportment because they're in uniform. And we too as believers are in uniform. We're in uniform every day. Not so much the clothing that we wear, but it's the name that we bear. We bear the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have to realize that people are watching all the time. 
And we have to wear that name well. There has to be a certain comportment about us as believers because we live in uniform every day of our lives. And so as we consider this word, let's just ask it four questions and see what answers it's going to yield for us. And the first question is, in this second word, why focus on the name? And notice the repetition. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for God will not hold anyone guiltless who takes his name in vain. The name occurs twice in this one verse. There's a focus on the name. Why the focus on the name? Well, a couple of things here. In the Old Testament, names reflect one's character. I'll just give you a couple of examples. Remember when David was taking care of people before he was king, and he was taking care of this fellow who had an estate, and the guy's name was Nabal. And um, David needed some supplies, and he went to Nabal and said, I've been taking care of you, can you help us out with some supplies? And Nabal said no. And so David said, okay, Get the soldiers, we're going to kill him and all of his men. And uh, then Abigail comes out, the wife, Nabal's wife. And Abigail says, David, you have such a great reputation among the people. Don't soil your reputation by doing anything foolish like killing Mr. Foolish. Because Nabal in Hebrew means fool. Well, that's another whole story. I, I do find it hard to believe that any mother picked up this little baby and said, I'm going to call this one fool. <laughs> but in a cousin language, Nabal means prince. And I think that his name didn't mean fool. His name meant prince. But Abigail knew the connection and she was playing on the sound of the name. But the point is, Nabal, the name means fool. And what was his character? Foolish. Or we could look at the whole book of Ruth. Elimelech, my God is king. That's what his name says. But yet when there's trouble, he leaves the presence of God and goes to Moab. He's not living in keeping. His character doesn't match his name. What happens to Elimelech in Moab? Does anybody remember? He dies. He has two sons. One's named Machlon, sick. And one's named Chilion, come to nothing. What happened to both of these guys? See, they have no character. There's a a woman named Naomi, pleasantness, because that's what her character is like, and that's what her whole life is like. But then because of her circumstances, she changes her name to Mara, because she says down deep inside, I'm no longer pleasant, I am bitter. Orpah, Orpah won't go. Orpah's stiff-necked. That's what her name means. Ruth sounds like the word for friend because of her character. She's that friend that sticks closer than a sister. Boaz, strength is in him because he's going to take care of his covenantal responsibilities. He's a man of really strong character. Then, you know the guy who didn't take care of his responsibilities in the story? Does anybody know his name? No, he doesn't have one. At least not in the story. Why doesn't he have a name in the story? Because he has no character. He has no character, so he's not given any name. 
And finally, the son that is born is named Obed, because what's he going to be all about? Obed means servant. He's going to take care of Naomi in her old life. Names reflect character. Um, Names are much more trendy in our culture. Names come and names go. Names are popular, then they're not popular. We don't think much about the meaning of names and the connection between names and character, but in the Old Testament they did. Names were important for this reason. God's name reflects God's character. That's why this is the focus of the second word. Because as we know his name, we understand his character. And of course, we could do a whole series on the names of God, yes? And perhaps some of you at some point in the past uh, sat through a short series of sermons Uh, each one looking at one of the various names of God and how that name reflects something about the character of God. We might just reflect for a moment on two weeks ago when we talked about the reason for, the reason for recognizing the Lord as, as one, and that's because he's a jealous God. Exodus chapter 34, 14 says, I, my name is jealous. Because I am jealous. One of God's names is jealous because it reflects his deep passion to protect the relationship that he has with his bride. Or we might think of God's kind of most fundamental name from Exodus 3.14 when Moses said, you know, if I go and tell these people that some God sent me to get them out of Egypt, and they say, what's his name? What should I say? And God says, I am who I am. Now, there's a little bit of mystery there, isn't it? It would be kind of like if I say to you, I'm a preacher, and you say, what is a preacher? And I said, well, a preacher is a a preacher. I haven't really said much, have I? That's because God is incomprehensible. We can't fully know God. He is who he is, and there's a mystery of who God is. But I am in particular means that he is the God who is present with us. He's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's the God of the covenant, who not only transcends our highest thoughts, but walks with us and talks with us and lives so close to us. You know, throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus keeps saying what? I am. I am. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. And at one point in John chapter 18, verse 5, uh, they were asking Jesus about who he was. And he said, well, our translations say, I am he. Are you the one? And he's, our translations say, I am he. They add that he for good English. But in Greek, it just says, I am. Because Jesus is identifying himself with the I am of the Old Testament. He doesn't say in that particular text, hey, I want you to know that I'm God. You know, the God of the Old Testament, I'm the God of the Old Testament. He just says, I am. And of course, what did the people in his presence do? They fell backward. They got it. That Jesus was saying that he is the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Of course, we could multiply examples, but the reason for the focus on the name is because the name reflects the character. God's name reflects his character. 
And just think about the Lord's Prayer. What's the first thing that we ask in the Lord's Prayer? Hallowed be your your name. See, Jesus got this. Kind of goes without saying, doesn't it? Jesus got this need to wear the Lord's name well. And so he says, after acknowledging who God is, our Father, close to us, in heaven, sovereign over the whole universe, the first thing we say is, may we, may we wear your name well, may your name be hallowed uh, in us, in the way in which we live. Why the focus on the name? Because the name is the character. This is why Deuteronomy and other books in the Old Testament will say things like, I will cause my name to dwell in the temple. Well, it wasn't like there was going to be a plaque there with the name written on it. God could have very well said, I myself in the fullness of my character will dwell in the temple. But the way he says that is my name, because the name is the character. Now, the second question, what does lift up the name mean? That's a rather wooden translation of the Hebrew text. You shall not lift up the name of the Lord your God. Now, if you have an NIV in front of you, it says you shall not misuse the name. And uh, that's a pretty good translation because this text is talking about misusing the name. But it doesn't give us very much insight into what that means or how it's possible to misuse the name. The ESV that I read from is echoing the King James. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And uh, that's traditional language, but the problem really with that translation is that in our culture, taking God's name in vain has become associated with using the Lord's name in cussing. And so we think, if I don't use the Lord's name in cussing, I'm not taking his name in vain. And that's a misunderstanding, a very profound misunderstanding of the text. So the the Hebrew text just woodenly says, take up the name. What does it mean to take up the name? Well, let's look at two texts. Turn with me to Psalm 16 and verse 4. Psalm 16, verse 4. This is talking about people who do not worship God alone, but who worship false gods. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. See, they're not keeping the first word, are they? Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take up their name, exact same expression as in the Ten Commandments, or take up their name on my lips. Isn't it interesting that these folks are failing in two ways? They're violating the first word. They're going after other gods. And they're then taking up the name of these gods on their lips. They're violating the second word as well. What does it mean to take up the name on the lips? It means to confess allegiance to that name. To take up the name is to confess allegiance. See, they're running after other gods. 
They're saying these other gods are the ones that I'm going to depend on. They're the ones that I'm going to be loyal to. They're the ones that I'm going to bow down to. They're the ones that I am going to serve. They're the ones who are going to stand in the place of the great first word. I'm confessing their name as the one to whom I give my allegiance, my loyalty. Those gods are my covenant gods. That's what it means to take up the name. To take up the name on your lips means to confess that this or that God is your God, to whom you owe your allegiance, your loyalty, your love. Let's look at another text, Exodus 23, 13. Exodus chapter 23 and verse 13. Pay attention to all that I have said to you and make no mention of the names of other gods nor let it be heard on your lips. Make no mention of other gods. That is, don't assert things to be true about those other gods when they're not true. Don't let their names be heard on your lips. Now, this does not mean that it don't, it's don't take up their names on your lips. This does not mean that an ancient Israelite was not to ever utter the name of another God. Because the prophets, God himself, they utter the names of other gods. But when they utter names of other gods, they're not asserting false truths about those gods, that those gods are true, that they're the ones that you should bow down to, that they're the ones that you should worship, that they're the ones that you should serve. When they do mention the other gods, it's always they're false No loyalty to them, no allegiance to them, no following after them. So why the focus on the name? Because the name is the character of God. And what does it mean to take up the name? To take up the name simply means to confess that that name is the name of the true and living God, your God, to whom you owe allegiance, loyalty, and love. Now the third question is what does in vain mean? Why does the text say, do not take up God's name in vain? And while cussing with God's name is certainly part of this, it's a part and it's nowhere near the whole of this. What does in vain mean? I would put it this way. In vain means without a corresponding lifestyle. To take up God's name in vain means to confess that he is your God and then to live as if he isn't. To take his name in vain is to say he's your God and you're going to be loyal to him. You're going to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength and then fail to do that. That's what it means to take up God's name in vain. It means to confess him as your Lord without a corresponding lifestyle. Now, where do I get this idea? Turn with me to Psalm 50 and verse 16. Psalm 
but to the wicked, God says. Now, in the book of Psalms, most of the time, not always, the wicked are not those people out there. They're not outsiders to the covenant. The wicked are people who are in the covenant. The people are the wicked who are in the covenant, but not living in keeping with the covenant. To the wicked, God says, we could put it this way, to wicked Israelites, God says, what, have, what right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? See, it's the same expression, but here we're not taking up the name on our lips. We're taking up the covenant. We're reciting the Ten Commandments. We're reciting the Ten Commandments and we're saying these are the commandments of the true and living God. These are the commandments that I am going to be living in keeping with. This is where my loyalty lies. And then we turn around and we break the commandments. See, we, we say those are the commandments of the Lord our God that are the guide for our lives. They're a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. But we don't have a corresponding lifestyle. We go and live another way. We're taking up the name. We're taking up the covenant on our lips, but it's in vain. It's not making any impact on how we live. Oh, it's much easier not to break this commandment if it means don't cuss with God's name in the cussing. What about now? If it means to confess that Jesus is Lord and then to do something, anything at all that is not in keeping with the Lordship of Christ. Now, how often do we break the second word here? Well, as a matter of fact, every time we sin. Every time we commit any sin at all, no matter what it is. We're at the same time taking God's name in vain because we have confessed that we're going to be living one way because Jesus is our Lord. And then we do something contrary. We don't wear his name well at the same time. This is why the New Testament says what? And maybe this will be a whole sermon sometime. Whoever keeps the whole law and stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. This is a beautiful illustration of that. Anytime we break any law of God, we're breaking this law because we're not wearing God's name well. We say we should be going one direction, and we're actually going the other direction. One final question. Why should we keep this word? Well, the answer in short is, there'll be consequences. God will not hold him guiltless who does not wear his name well, who confesses one thing and then lives another way. Now, we could just say amen and go home and think about it. But for me, that'd be pretty discouraging. That's why I didn't plan it. But we have the Lord's Supper. And when we realize that 
taking God's name in vain means doing anything contrary to the principles laid out in the Bible because we confess that's not who we are, when we're living in contradiction to our confession that Jesus is Lord, whenever we do that, we're breaking this word. And when then God says there are going to be consequences if you do it, we say, where's there any hope? Because I do it all the time. I do it daily. Every time I do anything wrong, say anything wrong, think anything wrong, I am not wearing God's name well. I'm taking his name in vain. And he's going to hold me accountable for all of that? Where's the hope? The hope is in the supper. See, there are consequences because God is just. If the supper means anything to us at all, it simply tells us that Jesus took care of the consequences for us. He did. Jesus lived a life of perfect righteousness. Jesus never took God's name in vain once. And his perfect integrity, always living in keeping with his confession of being a servant of the covenant, his perfection now clothes you. You're wearing his righteousness so that when God looks at you right now, if you trust in Christ, God sees someone who has never once taken his name in vain. And in addition to that, for all the times that you have, Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for all of it, which is why it was such a beautiful choice to read from the Heidelberg Catechism this morning, How Can I Be Right with God? You can be right with God simply by believing that in spite of the fact that you have thousands and thousands and thousands of times taken God's name in vain, you're right with him because Jesus never did for you. And Jesus paid the penalty for every time you did. When you look in, There's no hope. When you look to the table, there's more than enough hope. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how many times you have done it, no matter what you'll repeat in the future, there's more hope than you need because of who Jesus is. I am. And what he's done for you. Lived a perfect life died on the cross, raised from the dead for your justification, ascended to the Father's right hand where he's praying for you right now. He's praying that you will believe that you're right with God through faith in him and him alone. And he's praying that you will become people who more and more and more in the ebb and flow of life learn to wear God's name well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would write this word on our hearts, that we might continue as the people of God to grow in wearing your name well for your honor and for the benefit of all who watch our lives now and forevermore. Amen.